COVID. So thank you for your prayers and thoughts. Um, this morning, where's my clicker? Let's get this all fired up, ready to go. Just check it's going to work. There we go. Who? Oh, can we just? Check? Who has not been to a wedding ever? Do you know? I thought that was going to be the case. We've all been to a wedding at some time, and the bride puts on that fantastic dress, does her hair and makeup, and the groom says, "Who's that woman? I've never seen her look like that before." She wanders down the aisle. But actually, it's an amazing time. I was thinking back at our wedding. I, Louise was 19 and I was 20. And the one of the guys came into church this morning and he said, I'm 21 at the moment and I feel like 70. And I said to him, I was married by this time. You know, I've been to weddings, not of, of my, my own wedding. I've been to f- weddings of my family, my godchildren, goddaughters and godson went, attended their weddings. I've been to weddings of friends and children of friends. And I've been to weddings all over the place. And in a sense, when I got married, I was just 20 years old, and I said those vows, I will, I didn't really understand what I was saying, I will too. <laughs> in the sense that, you know, you're going into a, a relationship, I love Louise to bits, we've been courting in about two and a half years, something like that, was it? Yes, I got the, got the official nod. Yes. Yes, okay. That's good. Um, and so, you know, you, get, you, you do the range. For man, we just go and buy my suit, a tie and a shoes. And Louise, it's making the wedding dress. At 18, make it. 19, making the bridesmaids' dresses and all the things that have to be done. You know, buying a few gallons of makeup and paste and all the rest of it. And getting the hair done and all the rest of it. And of course, nobody told me the challenges of having children. When we started to try for children, the average was 18 months to fall pregnant. 18 months average. One in three first pregnancies ended in miscarriage. And we went through all that. Nobody ever told us about that. Never. Once we'd got these children, wow, nobody said what to deal with it. Because my parents had nothing to do with it. Louise's parents, you have to get married, they moved away three hours. They got out of sight. Complete, they went into the dust. <coughs> and then, when I said in sickness and health, Louise has had over 20 major operations. I used to say to her father, you never told me about these conditions. He used to say, no warranty given or implied, every time. But nobody warned me about that and all the issues. I'd wonder if I knew that, what I would have said. I don't think Louise would have accepted much words from me. But you, you're not prepared for these things. You go into it. And all of us will have known marriages that haven't worked. Some here, marriages haven't worked and it's ended in separation. One of my goddaughters separated and got divorced. But the whole expectation, this is my, my daughter and her husband Brad, and that's the wedding dress that Louise designed. Louise was a dressmaker. So she designed and made that with the bridesmaids. And I can remember we went to London. I wasn't allowed to see any of this. And we went to, uh, to London to buy some lace. About a metre of lace, was it? 
That's all, just to meet her. So we go to this shop and I'm standing outside waiting. And Louise comes out and just suddenly says, what's the budget for this lace? I said, well, there is no budget. When I saw the bill, I could have bought four suits, if not five. But of course, it's a one-off creation. And I can remember on the wedding morning, I hosted a big thing the night before. We went in and saw my daughter, stunning. Now, you may not think it, but me, she's beautiful. And of course, I had to do the, the walking down the aisle and the speech. And it's memorable. But weddings, well, it's, it's an unknown future. And I want to look at this morning about marriage. This is from uh, the Old Testament. Isaiah says this, Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. Forget, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. He, Lord Almighty, is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And here's God saying to the Jewish people, I am your husband. That's incredible. I can't remember who proposed to who, whether Louise proposed to me or I proposed to her. We did, I, did I ask? Oh, I did. <laughs> I, I had to go. We then said, we need to go and ask her parents' permission. So we agreed. We'll go into their house, big house at a matching tie, the only house you, I could walk around. And we agreed, when I ask for a cup of coffee, you leave the room and I ask. All planned. We walk in the door and Louise says, who'd like a cup of coffee? <laughs> and so I walk into uh, the living room and Tom is there, Louise's father. I said, Tom, I need to talk to you. I said, I'd like to ask for your, the hand of your daughter in marriage. Do you think you can maintain her to the life she's had before? I'll try my best. He got up, turned the telly over and sat back down again. Never said a word. I spoke to his sister some years later at the wedding, well, a couple of years later, I said, your brother, the fact he said nothing, that's as good as a yes. But here we have God saying, I'm to be your husband. A marriage, well, made in heaven. It was going to be great until you start reading these words here in Ezekiel. I am filled with fury, says the Lord, against you, when you do all these things, acting like a brazen prostitute. Your adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. If you read on, it talks about how he accused them of prostituting to other countries. It's awful. It does say he never stopped loving them, but he threw them out of the promised land. And you come into Ephesians, looking at you know, words now. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing by the washing with water through the word to present to her to herself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. That's hard work for a man with his wife. No stain, no wrinkle, no blemish. But anyway, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife? Who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And the whole thing is about a special relationship between God and man. And my title, according to the board, is My Church, the Bride of Jesus. Fundamentally, theologically, that is totally incorrect. We are not the bride of church. Not the church, the bride. Now, you're going to say this morning, I'm going to say some things which are going to appear controversial. They are my view, and I'm welcome to discuss it afterwards if you think. Because, well, let's go into the Bible itself. This is Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of the rushing waters and like the peal, loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord Almighty, God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteousness, God, acts of God, holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding lamb of the supper of the lamb. The reason I say this, you only become a bride when the bridal entourage gets together for the day they get married. Up until that point, you are betrothed, you are engaged. And on that, perhaps the day before the bridal entourage gets together, the bridal party, and they start getting the makeup in the morning, they do all the bits and pieces to make the bride stunning. And then the bride comes to meet the groom. And you have that wedding supper. And then at some point afterwards, the bride and groom go away to a hotel to consummate, have sex, that they become one. Only then are we the bride as a church. At the moment, we are betrothed. And yet we all hear the phrase, we are the bride of Christ. We will be the bride of Christ. But the fact is, we're in this particular waiting, a bride in waiting, as I say. But I want to look at that wedding supper. I want to suggest something to you. Something will take place at that supper, which perhaps we will all, all drink some wine. Have you thought about that? That could be the place where we drink wine together. Now you're looking at me all quite... Why would I you say that, Barry? Well, the Bible is full of symmetry. For example, David was a shepherd... And yet, when he's older, he writes his greatest psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. When Jesus came to earth, not long after he started his ministry, he goes to the temple and upturns all the tables and chairs and the moneylenders. Just before he goes to the cross, he goes to the temple and upturns all the, the tables and the moneylenders. There's symmetry. And if we go back, where was, did Jesus start his first ministry? It was in Cana, at a wedding. He starts his ministry at a wedding and he fulfills it at a wedding also. Come with me to Cana. Nearby, six 
stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the, and so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants, servants who had drawn the wine knew, the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink. You have saved the best till now. For me, that is a prophetic word. Because have you considered what wine you're going to drink in heaven? Have you thought it through? Come with me to Matthew 26. The night of the Passover feast, just before he's arrested and is crucified. It says this, And then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I'm suggesting this is the time where, like a toast, like a toast, because in the Passover, it was a very solemn but thankful event because it was, it was recognising how God had taken the people of Israel, the Jews at the time, out of slavery, made them into a nation and took them into the promised land. And they had various cups of wine and there's one they would not drink until. And I believe the until because when we go to heaven and that wedding alluded to there, we're in the promised land. We're in the promised land. And to explain the fact, moreover, the fact that we are in the process of, of betrothed to our, G, to our Lord, you've got to remember it's quite different. I'm going to tell you a story now. Nobody apart Louise and I know. And you mustn't tell a soul, particularly my dad. In British weddings... The father of the bride pays for everything. And Louise is one of three sisters, five children, three youngest. And so her father said, my girls will have the same food, same thing. And I'll pay for everything. Great. I start organising the car. I said to my dad, I got the car. Oh, I'll pay for that. And gave me £70. I went back and said to my future father-in-law, my father has paid for the car. I've never heard my father-in-law get cross and raise his voice. I said I will pay for the wedding. If you're going to pay for that, I'm not paying for anything. Okay, I'll sort it. His fa her father paid for the wedding. I couldn't tell my dad. So we kept the money. <laughs> and I'm asking forgiveness now. Uh, please don't tell, me, tell my dad. As you go into the crematorium, there's a plot and it's just there. But that's true. But it's different in the Jewish way because it was down to the groom's parents, the family there. And so what would happen is, 
they will become betrothed, which is just basically you're married apart from the sex and all the fringe benefits, and he goes to make a home. And when you read in, in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you what, that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And you've got to hear this whole fact. Is one minute he's describing himself as a the husband, but the whole bridal, uh, bridal process is taking place here. He goes away. There's a scripture, the parable of the ten virgins. Not an easy one to understand. And they're waiting in the, the depths of night for the groom to come. He's going to come when they least expect it. And suddenly he arrives and five of the, the virgins go, we haven't got enough oil in our lamp. The other five have got lots. Well, give us some of your oil. And they say, no. And so you go and get your own. So the five virgins go off to get the oil. And the other five go with the groom and the bride. And they shut the gates. And the other five go in. Just prior to the, uh, the groom arriving, it says, while they waited, they were all tired. They were all sleepy. They were all, to quote the modern thing, they were knackered. And they go to sleep. The ones who were on fire for God and one those who weren't. And I tell you what, waiting for God is tiring. If I'd somebody set me down, Barry, when I was in the back of a Ford Cortina and gave my life to Christ, right, when you become a Christian, this is what's going to happen. Ooh, you know, you're still going to have sickness and health. You're still going to marry Louise. You're still going to have those kids. You're still going to go through this and that. And as a Christian, I can remember, I was saying something at the door, shouting at God one day. And I said to God, I don't mind the devil attacking me. I don't mind the devil attacking my wife. It's unfair when he starts attacking my kids. And I was really cross. And God just took it and helped me. If I'd known what the Christian life was going to be, whoa. But God tells us as we need to know at times. So it comes up. <clears throat> We're on the, the final of this series. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians. Because one of the problems we do as Christians, we read the Bible vertically, page after page after page. But what we don't do is bring in verses horizontally that show us all about this subject. So I'm just looking at the bride and this... And Paul says this. This is from the NIV version. I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put, you put it up with it so easily. 
And that's Paul's cry. He's jealous, jealous for us to be that virginal bride for the husband of Christ, as we talked about. And yet he knows the temptation that is put before. He compares it to Adam and Eve. I'm not blaming the woman. I'll leave it there. But actually, temptation comes and it corrupts. Sin corrupts everything that we have on this world. Things that I want to be pure and perfect, sin got in and changed it all. But we look at Eve and go, she had everything and yet. And Paul says, you have everything but yet. But there's a passage in the Bible I want to look at this morning to finish off. And I'm going to be controversial. I'm going to say something you may have never heard before. I've never seen it written down anywhere. It's my view of this. Come with me to Isaiah. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. The Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you as a, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. The only piece of land ever given to anybody is the nation of Israel. The only land he gave them, this particular land, the promised land, as theirs. And it seems to be, when I read this passage, it's entwined with the fact of this marriage. It's like a dowry. Come with me to Revelation. We just read Revelation 19 about the, about the bride. This is Revelation. I'm going to read some few verses in this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more deaths, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Just down a few... Oh, he said to me, I, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And just a few verses on it says this, Come, I will show you the bride of the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of, the very of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And he goes on to explain all the jewels that were in heaven and all the gates. He then goes to measure out this Jerusalem, this bride, the wife of of the Lamb, and then says, I did not see a temple in the city, 
because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And then it says the next few verses later, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. To read this, we've always assumed, I have, that the Spirit and the Bride, Spirit's the Holy Spirit, and the Bride is the church. I don't think it is. Because that bride, if, if you didn't put the chapter's numbers in, that would continue talking about this new heaven and this new earth. Then it makes sense when it says, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. Because if it was the bride saying that, being us the people, there's nobody else to come. Like the five virgins, the date gates have been shut. But this intermingling of the land, being the new heaven and the earth, is like a dowry to the bride, the church. They're all mingled together. And what you realise is that we as the people can't exist without God, and nor can God's creation. Why does God create a brand new heaven and earth? Just watch the news. <coughs> the thousands of animals of God's fantastic creation no longer exist. We are screwing up. The world is overheating for lots of reasons. Man-made and of the time. Why bother repairing it when you have the ability to create something most beautiful for your child, for your wife? for your bride. And I think that continues with the picture of the, my opinion, of this beautiful gift that God is giving to his church. So when he says, let the one who hits says, come, they're saying, come to you and me who are thirsty. To those ten virgins, five are screwing up, five are not. He's desperate. And that's why we finish our Bible with verses like that. We are a bride in waiting. And as Paul says, it is so easy to be deceived. It is so easy to be caught up in things of the world. It is so easy, so easy to be distracted and find that your oil is not enough oil in your lamp when the groom comes. It is a scary picture. Even I think I've been preparing this. The fact is, Lord, how easy I've become complacent. How easy I watch things on telly. How easy I accept this and accept that in my society when, as we say, if Jesus came, if Apostle Paul came, why have I become like that? My role is to worship God. That's why the devil is so angry, because that was his role. And that's why we've had a fantastic time of just worshipping God, singing songs. And th but it's coming together. I can do this on my own. I can sing. I've got a, I can play my guitar, put some chord structures in and sing away. But when I come together with you, it's, it's another level. When I come to church and laugh and joke with people, it's another level it's just to me and Louise talking together. When we worked for the church, we would take just two weeks holiday a year. So we had just two weeks, so we had some other days. 
and we deliberately went to France, about a, mm, about a 12, 14 hour drive from here. And we knew when we, got, we woke up and got in the car at 7.30 on a Friday morning, had the money in our pocket, uh, and we knew where we were going, and actually we could ignore the church phone because we were on holiday. And we would travel down uh, through the tunnel, a few hours the other side, hotel we'd booked up by Loire, we'd park in the, in the car park, walk down the Loire River, grab a beer, have a meal. And it was a time where we had time with each other. Somebody actually said to Louise during one of these years, how do you put up with Barry for two weeks on your own? Louise is not my best friend, and she says the same thing of me. She's my lover and my wife. That is totally unique. And in those two weeks, we just devoted time to each other, without thinking about you. And I'm not mean trying to be unkind. It was the time for us to be Barry and Louise, husband and wife. We're going to have eternity with that intimacy with the groom. The analogy of a bride or a husband gets stretched when you start to put, how does Jesus consummate the, I don't want to know. But the fact is, there's the love. There's the expectation when I was preparing this, I got told off by Louise for something I realised I didn't do. She said, when I walked down the aisle, you didn't look round. My excuse was, I was young and nobody ever told me I was allowed to do that. But I just got this picture when, you know, there's Jesus there in the church. I don't know how many million walks down the aisle. Jesus turns and the biggest smile and he sees your face. Just you. And he smiles. And then that wedding toast, when he takes that small cup of wine, and you take yours, it's very intimate. With billions of people. But it's intimate. Because you are the bride. You are stunning when you get the makeup on, the dress and the hair. But God has done that. And something that struck me in closing is, in heaven, I can drink wine. I, I must have a body, perhaps. We'll leave that for another day. Can I eat? Can I have all the food? I, I don't know. But there's that challenge of what it is being church. Because we are the body. We're not individual people. We make up that bride in waiting. I'm scared, partly because I don't know what it means. I don't know what heaven is. But I know my husband is going to be there. He's going to look stunning, a bit like me at my wedding. Let's have a word of prayer and I'll hand back to Sharon and the team. Father, I'm speechless when I consider the things you're doing and preparing for heaven. I pray, Lord, if I've got things wrong, Lord, you'll tell these people here. But I just find it stunning, Lord, all through the Bible as I brought these scriptures in, and there's more about your love for your people, like a husband. Lord, that romance 
of betrothing. And Lord, it's in your hands. I don't know the times and the seasons, but the weather is definitely changing. And I know, Lord, if I was to die now and sell my house and get rid of my car, it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference the way the state of the world is going, physically, morally, and spiritually. But Lord, help me to be the bride that you want me to be. Help me not get distracted. Help me not screw it up, Father. Hold me, caress me, and kiss me. In Jesus' name.